My name is Sam Towns. And I'm Alex Norton. So, um, Alex, what have you been up to this week? Well, today, for anybody that... uh, I suppose you're going to be listening to this a week after it's happened, but today was Australia's hottest day in its entire history of recorded days. Um, And it beat out the last record by a whole degree, and that last record was set yesterday. Mm Mm-hmm. Um, the average temperature across the country was, I think, 41 degrees. Yep, about that. Yeah. And even here in Tasmania, and the people who have been following me um, have seen the photos of what the weather is like down here. Even here, it was 33.6 today. Yeah, wow. Um, it It was rough. I mean... With the UV that we get down here, you couldn't go in the sun. You'd instantly start getting dizzy. Uh, even working in my shed under the tin roof, it was pretty nightmarish because there wasn't a breath of wind um, until the afternoon. Mm. Uh, l- luckily, the temperature's dropping off for me, and it sounds like it's going to be for a lot of places, which is good. Um, but, yeah, it was it, it was rough. But uh, I've been doing just a lot of finishing work lately. I... I um, been working on a sort of hybrid chef slash santoku knife uh for an upcoming collaboration in the new year um i've made uh sort of my own take on a puko which really didn't turn out anywhere near what i wanted to do so i'm going to basically do that again i think um although it both of these those projects have actually been giving me some um chance to practice spine work on my knives mm-hmm. doing file decorative file work on the spines uh, which i'm finding super fun it's actually a really nice creative outlet to um to explore um and as i said uh, a couple episodes ago my i lo- again a lot of inspiration from olivia at wildcraft knives mm-hmm. um she does a lot of really beautiful spine work i'm doing just just doing very basic spine work at the moment but it's 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 quite nice um i've also been getting um I've been sort of exercising a technique with my sort of like guerrilla marketing, I suppose. Every so often I'll get a commission from somebody that uh, has a high likelihood that they're going to show off the the knife that I've made. Mm-hmm. Um, like they're part of a particular community that is likely to have a lot of members that would also like knives and things like that. And, and, and on those customers' orders, I tend to put in much more work into the knife than they've paid for Mm. um, because I know that there's a good chance it will lead to more orders when I do that. Yeah, it's an investment on, you know, advertisement. Yeah, that's right. And basically the customer ends up being stunningly happy with the product because it's a lot better than what they paid for and um, then they go and show it off. And yeah, so I've actually got one of those orders come up, um, coming up so that that's... um, he's even so excited about it finding me that he's paying in advance for the entire thing which is nice yeah but he happens to be part of a community which i think will really um be good for me so i'm gonna it's it's gonna be fun because he's he's one of those beautiful customers that says i want the knife to do this i don't care what it looks like awesome those are the best he just said 
Yeah, his exact words were he wants it to look badass. <laughs> and that's my speciality. <laughs> yes, it is. So, um, one thing that I've actually been, has been making my life so much easier, and I know this is a topic that we've talked about on the show before, and I know that you've done your own experimentations with, is sometimes you get steel that just won't drill. Mm-hmm. Um, and I have discovered locksmith drill bits, mm. which are nightmarishly hard things. They would just go straight through even hardened steel. Although I've got this bizarrely hard piece of mild steel at the moment that has now killed nine drill bits. In in it's, various spots or just in one spot? In um, two spots so far. Uh-huh. Um, they're both only separated by about three inches. Um, I have a, a suspicion because I, I cut this mild steel bar into segments and the first segment worked fine. Second segment, two separate holes um, and it's killed nine drill bits. So I'm, I'm assuming that it's just like a weird, a, a hard impact. alloy. Yeah, something like that. And it's, it's frustrating. But locksmith drill bits couldn't even go through that. But I have been drilling like proper hard hardened untempered steel with these things goes through fine yeah well they're no tungsten and carbide so they should go through pretty much anything well that's right and then you can get tungsten carbide drill bits and i've used them before and i've used cobalt drill bits and all this sort of thing but these are a very specific um uh profile to them mm. uh, and they're a, a, a lock is designed for locksmiths to drill into hardened steel of locks to either uh break them open when they need to or or drill out cylinders and things and yeah if you look for a locksmith drill drill bit sometimes they're um locksmith tct because tungsten carbide something titanium or, or whatever and um they're, they're magical. They've really made a difference. Um, I went. I, I, I used three mil pins on a lot of my knives, mm-hmm. and I used a three mil one of these drill bits, and it went through twelve knives so far um, before it finally cracked itself. Nice. And to be honest, I only suspect that it died because I was rushing and didn't give it the, you know, the little bit of time that it probably should have had because. <laughs> They are, you know, brittle. But this is with using no lubrication, no cutting fluid on hardened steel. Yeah, well, that's pretty good. It, yeah. And so 12 knives, some with two, some with three pins. Um, that's a lot of holes for a, a three mil drill bit to go through. Absolutely. Uh, so, yeah, that's that's changed my world to get them. And I've now bought them in bulk in three different sizes um, to, to have on hand. I'd love to, I'd love to see some CBN drill bits. Some uh, cubic yeah. cubic boron nitride. You can actually machine tungsten with uh, CBN. Oh, jeez, that's a million dollar idea, Sam. You might be on. <laughs> yeah, no. Um, so it's it's a recent. It's not not so recent, but it's um, been kind of a fringe thing in the machinists' world. Um, okay. A lot of the time, it's used to face um, like steel plat platens and stuff like that. Um, Okay. And there's a company that now that are making grinding wheels for like bench grinders that are cool. steel just embedded with CBN um, like material. What sort of finish does it leave? Apparently it's quite nice. They, they use it in a kind of Tormex style system. Okay. Um, so yeah, it's, it's, it's very interesting. I'm, I'm interested to see uh, how it gets developed because I actually watched a YouTube video of a guy machining some tungsten carbide 
uh, end mills just <coughs> turning down the shank with a with a CBN tool insert for his lathe. So right. yeah, he sounds pretty cool. I think I think for uh, drilling through hardened steel, uh, that would be uh, ideal. Harder than sounds like it would be harder than tungsten. <laughs> yeah, well, if we can go through tungsten, then far out. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But uh, but what about you, Sam? What have you been up to? Um. Well. Aside from melting. Yeah, much like you, I've been suffering the heat. We actually had uh, an unprecedented early heat wave. Um, we had four days over 40 degrees Celsius in a row. Wow. Um, yeah, they were all 40, 41, 42. Uh, in the sun, uh, I got into my car on Saturday and hit the outside thermometer and it was 47. Um, and that was about 10 o'clock in the morning. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it was it was what I call egg frying temperature. You know, you could fry an egg on the pavement. It was so hot. Yeah, uh, it was ridiculous. You for for pure health health and safety um, reasons, I didn't venture anywhere near the forge. That's just smart. Yeah. Well, I mean, I run pretty hot, like naturally, and I obviously hold on to heat quite well because I'm very well insulated. Um, <laughs> We, we know your hot stuff. So. Yeah, yeah. But, uh, yeah, being as heavy as I am, I tend to hold on to heat really badly, and so therefore if I get that hot, I'm going to probably die before I uh, cool down again. Mm. So I spent a lot of time indoors hand sanding and uh, organizing my hilt fittings and stuff like that. I've got, a, I've got a list of all of the projects I need to finish, thanks to my wife. Um, she's looking at me. <laughs> um, I actually, uh, sat down with her and we talked out all of the projects I needed for Perth Knife Show and before that. Um, and so we went through and we've bought a couple of things online that are shipping in. Um, so yeah, it's all, it's all coming together. Um. That sounds cool. Yeah. It's been a lot of paperwork and, you know, drawing and stuff like that. I did manage to get out to the forge today, however, uh, given... At least you don't it didn't have to light the forge, though. You could just stick the steel out the window for a couple of seconds. <laughs> That's it. Yeah, just sit them outside and they could temper on their own. Um, yeah. Yeah, no, I, I did get out to the forge today. It was really high humidity, but um, I managed to get a whole bunch of stuff banged out, a couple of um, Christmas presents for family members. Uh, oh. um, yeah, I got to use the press. It was good fun. I actually... Um, use the press to press in some 35 mil round into some 45 mil round to make like a tea light holder. Oh, right. Um, so upsetting. Well, yeah, kind of, it, it was kind of a mix of upsetting, but also punching because you punch a divot in it. That's the size uh, of the yeah, tea light, yeah. but it also upsets the material at the same time. Looks yeah. kind of cool. Um, I need a, I need a bigger press to do that kind of stuff though. It, it took several heats to get it deep enough that I was like, yeah, that'll do. <laughs> but, um, yeah, no, it came out all right. And, um, I also forged out another blade out of 52100 and a little blade out of M4, uh, or M2, M2 tool steel, um, for the knife show. And I'll probably spend tomorrow in the forge, um, forging out those hex hawks that I pre-punched. A while back and maybe working mm-hmm. on some hammers and stuff depending on how energetic i feel because mm. this heat has wiped me out <laughs> it saps your strength it does and yeah it drives drives me crazy I, I end up you know losing my mind a little bit when it's that hot 
my, my brain just cooks in my skull and I, I start, you know, going off the deep end. Yesterday I was uh, helping my granddad collect up some hay because the, it's been so so um, lacking in rain around here that he had a real trouble getting his own crop, so he's just buying it. And hmm. uh, We had to load up 60 hay bales, and when we got there, uh, they ha- they weren't in a shed or anything. They were still out in the field where the, the baler had left them. <laughs> Um, and so we're walking around in like 31 degrees um, in the open sun um, under that UV yeah. lifting 30 kilo hay bales. <laughs> what's your and, What's your average UV rating at the moment? Eight. Eight, yeah. Well. It's considered very high or severe. Yeah, well, I mean, over the weekend we had 11 and 13. <laughs> yeah, jeez. Yeah, it, gets, it gets pretty serious down here under the, uh, the hole in the ozone layer. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> it's um, I um, it, it, I did get some um, sort of grim curiosity that it, today uh, where I live, it was hotter than it was in Brisbane. Yeah, wow. Yeah, Brisbane only got to thirty-one. So right, you're actually you you're actually had a hotter day than I did. Yeah, because I I got right. we only got up to like twenty-eight. Oh, it's okay. Um, starting tomorrow, it all drops back down again. We're going down to like 24 maximum, yeah, and 6 yeah. overnight. So, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You'll be going back to having snow and all that kind of stuff real soon. Actually, it's sounding like we're not going to get much rain until about April oh, now. Oh, bugger. Dry season. Yeah, it's not not good for the farmers. No. Not good for the blacksmiths um, either. No. No, it's really not. But a um, bit sad. I just realized I forgot to do my song of the week. Well, yeah, I didn't do my song of the week either. <laughs> well, yeah, we're technically still. I'm talking over your time. You should. Do That's, your no, no, no. Time. You do yours first because you know you were first technically. My my song is uh, "High Noon in Killville" by Angry Johnny and the Killbillies. <laughs> that is a spectacular name. <laughs> it's um, it's just it's it's a song about a bank robbery. Uh, no, a grocery store robbery gone really badly wrong. Mm. Um, and. It's got this great build all the way through it, but the finish just slaps so hard that I have been hitting repeat on it a lot this week. Fair enough. That's f- yeah, I love songs that build. Yeah, I, I like story songs, so you know that sounds right up my alley. Well, yeah, it's good. got the build and the story. Yeah, so. <laughs> yeah I, I have a playlist of uh, a lot of like Western-style story songs. Uh, yeah. And actually, that was going to be my song of the week. Was uh, one of those, which is uh, "Cattleman's Gun" by Dean Brody. Uh, right. Tells the story of a you know a cattleman who uh, has taken over a town and the preacher who puts him down. Um, uh, okay. Yeah, it's quite cool. Um, but yeah, so that's those are songs of the week. Do we need to? Um, do we have any viewer questions this week? Uh, I didn't actually. I should have prepared a bit better and, and looked that up, but it won't take me very long. Uh, let's have a look. Let's check, open up the mailbox. I would like to um, imagine that there is an actual physical mailbox that we have, but <laughs> there's not. Yeah. Make... yeah, make sound effects for me while I <laughs> futz around with Gmail. Yeah, well, we do actually. All right. So we have a question from Garrett Carper. Hmm. Says, hey guys, love the show. My name is Garrett Carper and I'm a new listener to the show but have been quickly catching up on all the episodes while at work or in the forge. I'm also pretty new to blacksmithing and bladesmithing. First of all, all Sam's talk about forge efficiency sparked a fire 
and I rebuilt and relined my forge. So now I'm hitting welding heat in 10 minutes. Nice. Good on you, mate. Uh, my first question is about canister Damascus. I'm going to leave Sam to answer this one. <laughs> um, I've been pretty successful in forge welding and want to try my hand at a canister. Any tips for a first timer? My oh, oh, He's got a second question here, but it's only a short one. Uh, my second and most important question is about flatness. I'm saving up to build a 2x72 grinder. But for now, all I have are files and a 1x30. Are there any ways to get good flat blades without a 2x72? I can answer that one. Yeah, that's that's uh, right up your alley. Yeah, any info will be greatly appreciated. And sorry for the long-winded email. Thank you. Oh, mate, you have no idea some of the emails we get. This is a very short email. Um, Comparatively, so, Sam, yeah. I'll, let you, I'll, I'll let you take the canister Damascus question, and I'll take the flat. Well, question. my answer's going to be really short, because I have only ever attempted canister Damascus once, and it was a dismal failure. Um, <laughs> there were many reasons why it was a dismal failure, and I understand now, having spoken to people like Jay Nielsen and, <laughs> and Steve Schwarzer and stuff like that, there's uh, a lot of technique in it, uh, in it and uh, a lot of trial and error. Uh, actually, recently, Jason Ellard, who lives down in Tasmania, has been doing a lot of uh, canister Damascus, um, and he and I spoke about it a little bit on Instagram. But uh, yeah, the big thing with canister is you need to use powdered steel that you have bought from a reliable source. Um, I made the <laughs> I made the dumb mistake of drying out shop floor sweepings to use as powdered steel. <laughs> oh, okay. uh, and there were lots of <laughs> trace elements in that. Uh, <laughs> it, it went really badly um, anyway uh, yeah use powdered steel that is from a known source make sure that when you're stacking whatever material you put into the, the canister that you leave uh, room for the powdered steel to access the, the floors, the holes because there's always little holes and vibrate your canister so whether you tap it with a hammer uh, I know Steve from um, Green Beetle uses a, a jigsaw without the blade in it, as a, as a almost like, you know as a custom uh, canister jumbler. Um, mm -hmm. But you want to make sure that you get all of that powder to settle into all of the gaps because any gaps that are left in there aren't going to weld. Um, there are two schools, as far as I'm aware, um, on whether or not you drill a vent hole. Um, if you're drilling... It depends on whether or not you like sparklers. Yeah, and the other thing is, is that you need to provide some form of carbon source if you're going to have a vent hole um, to and ho a little bit of flux uh, near that area in order to prevent oxidization coming through that vent hole. And the vent hole needs to be very small. Um, but if you're very worried about the canister blowing up, you can use a vent hole. Because <laughs> there is obviously a problem if you have ga if you have air holes in your canister and it's airtight, which it should be, um, then when the air expands, it's going to blow the side of your canister out. Um, mm. <laughs> I haven't heard of it happening to anyone that I know, but I ha I do know that it's a possibility. Uh, if you po properly pack your canister, um, you know, take the precautions and pack your canister properly, it shouldn't be an issue. But if you aren't sure. Drill a 1.5 2 mil um, vent hole for the uh, <laughs> for the material to vent out of. Also, you can line it with um, wide out. I know there's a lot of people who are against the idea of using ride out, and instead want to use like um, stainless steel foil that you've pre-burned. Uh, we actually spoke to Jay Nielsen about that on the Forgecast in his episode. So if you want to check that out, 
Uh, he is the master, and if you follow him on Instagram, Jay Nielsen... Uh, literally the master. He is literally a master bladesmith, and he does a lot of Canister Mat Damascus stuff. Steve Schwartzer is so another one. He champions the, t- the whiteout. Yeah, he does, um, whereas Steve and Jason Knight both are very anti the uh, the whiteout method. Instead, they go for the uh, burnt steel foil method uh, of protecting your canister. Otherwise, if you're a newbie and you just want to try it, I highly suggest just welding it inside the canister with nothing lining the canister and grind the bloody canister off. <laughs> mm. You'll save yourself a lot of heartache and a lot of you know panic as to whether or not it works. And at the end of the day, uh, an angle grinder and a um, you know standard grinding disc it won't take you very long to get through the canister. We'll get a nine-inch grinder with a cut-off disc. That's it. <laughs> but uh, yeah, so that's basically the entirety of my knowledge. I'm not very knowledgeable. I haven't tried a lot of canister Damascus, so I'm probably not the best person to answer that question. Thank you for asking, and if you have any other questions, please feel free to ask us. Uh, I would highly suggest you message Jay, Steve, Schwarzer, um, I'm not sure if... No, so th- those two would probably be the, the top two, um, but there are a lot of... They're probably antsier too. Yeah, yeah. and Lovely guys. They're, they're awesome, and they're always willing to share their information. So uh, yeah, if you message them, there's a good chance they'll be able to give you some information on uh, what you need to do. Yeah. See, Jared, Sam said it was going to be a short answer. <sighs> That's my version of a short answer. <laughs> so to answer your other question uh, about flatness, is um, bef- uh, 2 by 72 grinders are expensive. Um, even if we build one yourself, they're expensive. So I understand it's going to take a little while to get it together. Um, I will say a cheaper option uh, in the meantime, if you're trying to achieve flatness, is to get yourself a disc sander. Uh, disc sanders are phenomenal at getting flatness quickly um, however if you're just using sort of files and doing things by hand um, a couple of good things to invest in would be a set of vernier calipers where you can actually um, lock the distance of them and a big old pack of sharpie markers mm-hmm. um, what you can use you can sort of use the sharpie markers as a cheap alternative to dicom or any sort of engineering marking fluid. Uh, and if you're trying to achieve levelness and flatness on something by hand, um, you can. the first thing you need to find out is are you actually holding it level or, or um, shaping it level because oftentimes you can get sort of a slope on things. So if you paint the sides of your knife or, or your blank or whatever you're using, with sharpie or or if you can if you if you do have marking fluid available to you paint the sides of it use a set of vernier calipers to describe um the the thickness that you're trying to go through down the sides you might find that one side is actually taller than the other which means you've actually got a slant going um try to sort that out with files first um and and get it uh, get get at least the edges even and then that way when you start doing flattening procedures even whether it's going across it with a file um, or not you can actually paint the top of the or the face of the the, the knife to actually see where the uh, passes of the file are going one technique I used to use was actually to use a known flat surface or in my case a known flat in quotes surface uh, was an old tile like a, a, a bathroom tile um, that was pretty flat which I tested with a square tested it was quite flat and i would um, stick sandpaper to it quite low grit sandpaper um, and i would push 
the blade against it um, repeatedly and that would create a, a flat grind against it. Mm. Uh, depending on the size of the knife, you can also um, dr draw your file across it. Um, but really, you need some way to actually tell what's being removed. Um, and by t seeing what's being removed, you can see whether or not, or how flat you're getting, really. Because if it's only removing, if you draw across the top of the, the blade blank and only part of it's being removed, it means that it's not flat yet. So you can tell by how much you're removing of how flat it is because the surface of a file is flat and straight if you're using something like a, you know, a bastard file, or something, not like, like a half round file. <laughs> um, um, so, yeah, that, hopefully that helps. A 1x30 is actually a fairly... I, I worked on a 1x30 for the first, like, six years of my, my blacksmithing career and they are... The only reason that they're difficult to get things flat on is because of the small size of the platen. Uh, so building up jigs of guiding, um, guiding your, your hand a little bit can help. But the biggest thing that I've seen with every 1x30 I've ever seen is that the platen is quite flimsy and does take a bend after a while. So if you're trying to use it by hand to achieve flatness or thereabouts flatness, which you can then clean up later, um, check your platen, check it for square, get yourself a little engineering square uh, and make sure that it is actually flat. Uh, and if you actually have the machining ability, make a more solid one or brace it in some way in, in such a way that it will not bend over time. Oftentimes even a very slight bend in your platen is enough to cause a nightmare with you trying to flatten something out. So um, disc sanders though are usually only about 150, 160 bucks for a cheapie. Um, and oftentimes you can buy sort of combo grinders that have them. A lot of 1x30s actually have one on the side, mm -hmm. to be honest. Uh, so disc sander is guaranteed to get you some pretty accurate flats on them. <coughs> the only downside is that you have to keep replacing the discs. Um, do not take the temptation of converting it to a hook and loop system. You can get conversion kits. Uh, if you use a hook and loop um, system on a disc sander they have give in them and when you're trying to actually remove material in a in a platen that's got give in it then you're just asking for trouble um so that would be my answer to that i'm sure sam's probably brimming with counterpoints to a couple of things that i've said no no not at all um uh, more addendums to the to what you said yeah, um the shoot. for making bevels uh with files or a one by thirty, I'd actually probably end up going with the files rather than the one by thirty because uh, one of the, as Alex said, they're highly unreliable in their platens and stuff. And unless you have the machining ability to make yourself a more solid platen, uh, and the other thing is that I tend to find that they um, are set back from the belt a little bit because um, the the big thing with grinders two by seventy twos, you know, nine by forties, whatever it is. At the end of the day, if you haven't got um, the platen in direct contact with the belt, then the belt will be giving ground before it hits the platen, and you'll actually creating concavity. Yeah, and so all of your bevels will be slightly uh, convex. Um, so, however, most of the one by thirties I've seen actually have adjustable platens. The distance from the uh, platen to the belt is actually adjustable. Yeah. So check to see if that is the case, and maybe bring it forward. Yeah, but if you're going to make them, uh, the bevels with files, then I would highly suggest making a file beveling jig. Um, yes. Which is really, really easy. It's just a you know an eye, an eyelet on a piece of threaded rod. 
screwed into a board. <laughs> and a I actually have, if you go back quite a way on my YouTube channel, I have a video of, of one that I made. Yeah. And Aaron Goff yeah, has got one as well. Yeah, although, although my channel's cool. You should totally subscribe to it. <laughs> yes, it is. And you should definitely do that. <laughs> um, yes, yeah, so like most things, I over-engineered mine phenomenally. Um, they, can, they can be quite a simple little thing, but all it is is basically something that holds the file at a specific angle that you have preset because trying to do it purely by hand, by very nature, humans wobble. Mm -hmm. we, are, we are wobbly creatures. We are indeed. So anyway, thanks for the um, thanks for the email, Garrett, and I'm glad that Sam's um, rants on on thermal efficiency have led to you actually getting a much more thermally efficient forge. That's what we do. Um, <laughs> yeah, I won't be able to shut him up about that now. <laughs> you won't be able to shut me up no, awesome. about it until I make my forge thermally efficient. At which point, I'll probably stop for a little while. That's right. We, we, we try to practice what we preach on here, but Sam is resisting the urge. Oh, I'm not resisting. I just don't have the time or money to <laughs> do the first knife show, perhaps. Uh, yeah. Uh, mate, one day. One day. One day. Well, but um, in the meantime, let's, let's go on to our inspiration of the week. Yes. And, and our inspiration this week is, is, is too big for us to uh it, we had to have the same inspiration because really it, it it deserves a round of applause from everybody before before um, we name him i just want to say that our inspiration this week has been used before and the reason we are both uh using him as our inspiration this week i i can't explain it better than the fact that i messaged alex at ten thirty p.m my time uh, which is so it was about one in the morning. <laughs> yeah, like half past one in the morning his time, um, because I'd literally just watched the video that he'd made, and I was freaking out. I was so blown away by how awesomely attractive this knife was. Just if I could marry an inanimate object, <laughs> there are way worse that I could do. <laughs> And I hadn't seen the video, so I, I then went and watched it, and I knew straight away that it, it had to be the inspiration of the week, and I suggested to Sam that it be our mutual inspiration of the week, not just because it's cool, not just because it's amazing, but because it is single-handedly one of the most impressive things I've ever seen made by hand. Absolutely. It's... It, even now, just thinking about it, <laughs> it makes me slightly annoyed <laughs> and we we have had the absolute honor of having this fellow on the show before and we hope to again uh so this week our inspiration is kyle royer the abs master smith uh f specifically for the incredible stiletto dagger that he has been making in his video series on his youtube channel which if you have not watched that series do yourself a favor it just came out one of the most spectacularly, breathtakingly beautiful things I've ever seen. To look at it, you, the finished product, you would never in your wildest dreams be able to work out that that was made by hand. Oh, man. I, honestly, and all credit to his brother, Josh, um, who's an amazing uh, videographer and editor. Mm. Um, 
But the the final, even if you don't get to watch the whole series, if you don't have the time to watch the whole series, I highly advise you do because he also drops a lot of hints and knowledge along the way. But there's some great tips. Yeah, Kyle's full of great tips, and he's always passing them on through his YouTube channel. So if you haven't subscribed to him, do it now because you are going to learn so much. But the big thing for me was those final beauty shots uh, at the end of the the last part that Josh did mm. of the macro shots, which were, you know, that we're talking 300 times zoom on, on the smallest the infinitesimal detail. Yeah. The biggest thing is I was looking at those shots and not only was I drooling over the knife itself and I was blown away by the artistry of what Kyle had managed to make, but I was also th- just thunderstruck by the fact that you could look at that amount of um, you know magnification Zoom. and not pick out a flaw. Mm. Like I, I was trying to pick out flaws. I was trying to see scratches and stuff, and I thought I saw one, but then it turned out to be like a piece of lint that had like <laughs> stuck to the mirror polished bowl at the pommel. Yeah, I just I... when when <laughs> when he made the balls because he he made these little steel balls to go on the ends of the quillons and and one on the on the pommel. Uh, and he made them mirror polished. Like uh, when I when we're talking, black talk- mirror. Uh, we talked. We, we're talking real mirrors. Like Josh actually filmed a thing for their Instagram where they were talking to the camera by bouncing the image off the bowl into the camera lens. And it yeah. it was oh my god! I can't even explain. My words don't work. But he ended up, he ended up gun blowing them like he normally does. But in this case, he managed to keep a perfect mirror on gun blued parts and it looks just mind bending and he explains how he does it he's not like oh this is my super secret recipe that I'm not going to tell you how to do he walks you through it he just tells you that it's a real pain in the ass and when Kyle tells you that it's a real pain in the ass you better sit up and listen because <laughs> Kyle is one of the most pedantic <laughs> meticulous people I've ever met in my life Absolutely. And when he tells you that something's fiddly, you can take that to the bank. Honestly, the moment that Kyle the moment that Kyle says that something is like a little bit time consuming, I'm immediately like, I'm never going to try that. Because Kyle is the man who thought that three months on a sword was kinda of, meh, you know, that's that's pretty average. <laughs> so when he says, you know, oh this is really time consuming and finicky <laughs> no, 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 no! I'm good. I'm good. You do that, Carl. But seriously though, this this dagger came out so perfect that if he were to appear at my front door and offer me to hold it, I wouldn't be able to bring myself to do it because I'd be all of a sudden super conscious that my hands were too <laughs> filthy to touch something like that. Honestly, I'd have to wear like six pairs of gloves, and even then. Yeah. Like, the big thing is that looking at it, I'm so tempted to pick it up. Like, you know, even though I'm miles away from it, if I was in the same room, I would be so tempted to touch it, but it's like looking at the void. You know, it's like it's yeah. like standing on the edge of a cliff. Your brain is saying, jump, but your body <laughs> refuses. And I think I would be in exactly the same position if I was looking at it in person. I think, I, I think I'd, my brain would be screaming, pick it up, but I'd be like, no, I can't. <laughs> Um, he had a really poignant moment during the video series um, where he actually has just like if, if you've ever 
looked into various materials and things, you'll understand how complicated the procedure for this is. He has a, car, a polished carbon fiber fluted <laughs> handle on it. That, for anybody that's ever has any engineering background whatsoever, just cringed by me saying that, like the amount of work to actually achieve that. But he was doing a twisted gold wire inlay on the fluted handle. And he had this moment where he was explaining that when you are twisting up golden wire, it looks prettier and prettier the more you twist it. And it looks its most beautiful just before it breaks. Yeah, and he, he's like that with all of his stuff. He says that the best stuff he has ever made has been right before he stuffed it up. Yeah, and it's a sort of, I, I don't know, it was a bit of a moment here, and that's, it's like, that's, that's quote-worthy. <laughs> yeah, uh, I mean, Kyle, uh, I, you know, he's on another level. He's, he's just, he's on that next, that next stage towards, you know, knife-making enlightenment. <laughs> he has reached <laughs> Zen Master. But, um, no, I mean, funny you should say about the carbon fiber handle. He went through, I think he said, like, 12 Valorb needle files like <laughs> we're talking the top of the line $149 a set Valor yeah. files <laughs> you could buy my car for what he spent on <laughs> files he also used like he handle. also ruined like gun checkering tools and all kinds of stuff like that trying to get those flutes in because carbon fiber is so wear resistant you mean succeeding in getting those well yeah he, he succeeded and uh, like hats off to him he has the patience because I think after I ruined my second set of needle files, I'd be ready to <laughs> I'd be ready to chuck that thing in the bin. And he managed to get it to a mirror polish. Like, I don't actually like carbon fiber on knives. I've never been a fan. I've seen a lot of them, and I never attracted. It was never attractive to me. I always found it a little bit tacky. Um, he made it look stunning. Oh, it's the way he did it. It's just you know, it, it looks perfect. It, it reminds me, there's a technique in um, glass work which um, you heat up like a, a pure glass marble that doesn't have any patterning inside it, just pure glass. You can heat it up and then immediately quench it in water and it won't shatter apart if you've heated it to the right temperature. It just fills with micro cracks. Mm. Um, and the carbon fiber patterning reminds me of if that was done with obsidian. Yeah, that that's, yeah. It, uh, I don't know. And it's a mosaic, it's a mosaic Damascus blade. And, you know, moving away from the handle for a minute, although I will say that he very rarely uses 416 stainless or any kind of stainless for his guards. He actually used stainless for his guards for once, and I was surprised. And it worked. It really did. But the, um, the big thing for me is that not only was it mosaic pattern Damascus, he also did one inch hollow ground edges. Right, like normally when you're talking about like a hollow grind, you're talking ten inch, maybe maybe eight inch. I've seen a couple of six inch hollow ground blades. When you're making swords, three inch is actually quite common, uh, especially in like Peter Lyons' shop, the guy who made all of the swords for um, the Lord of the Rings. Mm -hmm. But um, yeah, he made a one inch hollow ground stiletto blade with a compound hollow, which is, means that it uh, it tapers towards the tip and actually his tip was flat ground so he actually stopped the hollow before the tip and the tip was uh reinforced by being flat ground and he also did an eighth inch um 
rib fuller down the middle of the blade, also tapering. Mm -hmm. And having done a couple of hollow grinds, and anyone who out there who's done a hollow grind before can uh, can attest, doing a hollow grind even on a ten inch wheel is difficult to keep straight. Mm. On a one inch contact wheel. <laughs> I cannot imagine the amount of hand skill he had <laughs> to get the one inch hollow straight and equal depth. Yeah. Especially because like the, the blade is three three eighths inch thick. Like it's it's a really thick blade, so it's a really deep hollow. Um I just yeah. The the whole thing just kills me and every time I look at it it makes me slightly disgusted. And, um, <laughs> honestly, it, it... He's not even real. No. I actually, I think in my message to, to you, Alex, I think I said, why do I even bother knife making? <laughs> why, yeah. why, why do I even yeah, bother he, doing he, this? He was ready to give up. I had to, I, it was just too beautiful. I had to talk him back from the edge. It's like, it's like when you've been practicing, like, guitar or a musical instrument for, for years, and then you meet, like, a 16-year-old kid who just suddenly picks up uh, the guitar and is a virtuoso. Um, yeah. Kyle and I are exactly the same age. Now, I understand that he's had a lot more knife-making experience than me, uh, <laughs> and he's had access to some teachers that I didn't have, but to see him putting stuff like that out while I'm, you know, kind of muddling my way through, <laughs> uh, really puts a dent in the ego. Really, I, I, the, the best thing to do would just be to give him a round of applause. <laughs> yeah, that's it. I just could not believe it absolutely incredible work and yes if you have not seen it yet go to his youtube channel kyle Roy knives and and watch the series even if you don't watch the whole series watch the glamour shots in the last video it will take your breath away absolutely yes i could nerd out about that blade all day mm. <laughs> but we won't we won't we'll move we will move on to uh to tool time tool time no steel this week we actually do have a listener request for a tool mm. and it's one that i'm surprised that we haven't actually talked about in the past yeah um that is sharpening systems a lot of people who listen to the show are bladesmiths but not only bladesmiths use sharpening systems i was actually sharpening up some garden tools recently that i made mm -hmm. um people who make woodworking tools or chisels or hot cut hardies even if you're just doing tools for yourself they all need a good edge and they all need that edge to be maintained so sharpening systems are a very important part of any blacksmith's shop yeah absolutely um, how hardcore you're willing to go into your sharpening systems depends on the sorts of blades that you're <laughs> working on yeah and what you want them um, to do that's right, and there's a lot of uh, a lot of them out there. Everything from the the humble whetstone to uh, things like Lansky pucks, which are really good puck sharpeners for things like axes and nice little in the field sharpeners. Uh, they give you a good simple edge. Um, I actually am a big fan of doing things by hand and not using power tools. Um, although I've seen some great results done with things like the Tormek sharpening system. Mm. Um, and even homemade ones um, that like the art of weapons on YouTube he does his um, it's like a what is it uh, MDF wheel 
on his bench grinder that's flipped around 180 degrees so it's rolling away from him and he puts polishing compound on the edge of an MDF wheel. Yeah, I uh, I wouldn't suggest that one. That's more that's more like a power hone than a sharpening system. Yeah, I really I really wouldn't suggest that one mainly because no MDF can have flaws in it and spinning at high speeds spinning at high speeds can uh, make it explode. You can do it with uh, it. It also works with um, plywood, but at the same time. Same problem. It's just really <laughs> dangerous. Yeah, there are right. actually paper wheel sharpening systems for bench grinders. Uh, yeah, Gamico actually sells them. They do, yeah. Gamico sells them. I believe Jant's Knife Making sells them in the US. Um, mm-hmm. They're a pretty decent system. Power sharpening is something that's coming uh, coming back in a big way, mainly because a lot of people are starting to offer sharpening services, and uh, power sharpening is the fastest way to do it fastest yes it's also the fastest way to make mistakes fastest way to screw things up absolutely um when it comes actually one of if speaking of Carl Royer's video you can see him putting an edge on his knife using a uh, sort of a flat disc sharpener um which is often used for files uh not far sorry uh chisels gravers yeah um, Very... he he actually uses a, a diamond hone system for engraving chisels um, mm. And he uses that to sharpen his knives. He actually has it for his graver set um, that he uses with his um, pneumatic graver. Um, but yeah, he uh, he also uses it for uh, sharpening knives, and it's basically just a rotating disc of uh, uh, slower than something else, uh, other other rotating or powered yeah. grinding yeah, grinding units. Yeah, yeah given a it's bit more gentle. Given it's a diamond thing, and it's only meant to be grinding the faces of little carbide burrs from you know carbide gravers which are normally like you know two mil <laughs> two mil round um That's right. it doesn't need to be super uh, super aggressive but yeah he uses that now uh, actually in his older videos you can see him hand sharpen on um uh norton stones the old oil stones okay that's his, that was the old system he used to use and he's also used uh, the belt grinder to sharpen a lot his 2x72 he uses that to sharpen quite a bit when he's doing test edges um, for like chop tests and stuff like that yeah he did that in his journey to master series although I don't think he did that on his final piece <laughs> I mean I've um, ha- I've used my 2x72 to sharpen a lot of blades over the years uh, and you can get it done uh, especially with the VFD uh, being able to slow it down to you know 700 surface feet per minute, moving it slow, slow that <laughs> building up heat isn't a problem. Um, you can get mm. some decent edges as long as you know what you're doing. But even then, any kind of power tool when it comes to sharpening is just a guaranteed way to let you screw something up real fast. Mm. You need to make absolutely sure you have no distractions. Yeah, you're not going to sneeze. <laughs> you're not going to have a neighbor jump up behind you or something like that. You know. Put it, th- put it this way, if you talk to any professional that uses blades, uh, whether it's everything from chefs to uh, pet hair trimmers, um, every single one of them who relies on a blade for their job has a horror story that they can tell you mm. of a, pro- a professional sharpener that destroyed something. And it's because 99 times out of 100 a professional sharpener, for the sake of efficiency and speed, uses power tools to do it. Um, and trained hands on a powered sharpener can be very, very good. But like Sam said, the mistakes happen just as quickly as the sharpened edges. <laughs> That's it. I mean, if you're talking uh, about the Tormek system, which has guide rails and, you know, 
or much more difficult to screw it up. Yeah, but it's also two thousand dollars <laughs> for, for the Tormac. So you know, like in in the powered in the powered sharpening world, you either need to develop a skill or you need to pay a lot of money to get a decent guided system. Yes. Um, and speaking of decent guided systems, I'm a big fan of the TS Prof sharpening system. I, I have one of those. Um, also pricey. Um, however, I, I do offer professional sharpening as part of my business. So I, I needed something that was reliable. But at the same time, it's just part of my deal, my thing, my shtick. I like to do things with as few power tools as possible. And the TS Prof was it. If I, uh, It's no better than something like the Tormac system mm-hmm. um, each has its pros each has its cons um, but it it suits me to the ground um, it is pricey but that level of precision yeah uh, is worth the money like the, when, when I say precision I mean proper precision you there are a lot of actual non-powered sharpening systems which uh, come highly rated like the edge pro systems mm-hmm. quite uh, renowned the uh, wicked sharpen a uh, wicked edge I think wicked it's edge, yeah Lansky um, yeah, Lansky have their own system, which is it comes very highly raised. Um, uh, what is it? The uh, Spyderco actually have mm. one, which is a little bit more freehand than a guided system, but it still um, uh, helps you with the angles quite a bit and is uh, very portable, very, very portable. Um, something like the TS Prof is not very portable <laughs> at all. So, I mean, I, you know, I, I, I've used a lot of different systems over the years. Um, and guided systems are the easiest way to get an accurate and repeatable result. And that's the big thing, is that um, professional shopping services and stuff like that, if you're doing professional shopping and you want to give your customer the best that you possibly can, then um, using a guided system like the TS Prof or the Edge, or the Wicked Edge or you know something like that is going to be your best bet to provide accurate and repeatable results every time. Uh, you know, first time every time. I'm a stubborn asshole, <laughs> and I I uh, pretty much only sharpen freehand. Um, I... Well, I was actually going to say that after I was um, talking about my TS Prof because I love my TS Prof. I, I I'd love a sponsorship from them, but they they won't even hear me. <laughs> I'm too too small fry. I mean, they're a big company, but I love it. I love it dearly. But you will never pry my set of whetstones out of my hands because no matter how good a guided system is it still is only able to fit a certain number of styles and molds and things and every so often you're going to get a blade that is a little weird like uh, like a leather working ulu for example very hard to do on a guided system yeah um a heavy recurve like a kukri very hard to do on a guided system even with a, a, a two two centimeter wide stone very narrow stone still very difficult to do um on a guided system but if you have good skill um a good muscle memory in operating stones uh and you sort of uh, build that up you you learn a bit of i mean i've talked about this before but you learn a lot more of the why of sharpening um and being able to fall back on a good set of stones and that that sort of muscle memory and skill is priceless you can't replace it yeah absolutely i mean i i came from a background of doing a lot of woodwork and uh, a lot of uh, bushcraft and and you know lots of outdoor 
activities. And one of the big things about, you know, going outdoors and going hiking and stuff like that was that you didn't have a lot of room in your pack for tooling. And so therefore mm. you took the bare minimum. And sometimes I'd take a, a small whetstone, like a small, um, off cut of one of those gray carborundum stones you get from a hardware store that costs you 50 cents. I just, yeah. I, I, you know, I'd knock a piece off with a hammer <laughs> and take that with me. Uh, and uh, a little while later, I actually picked up uh, a easy lap um, diamond plate that was uh, like five centimeters long by about three centimeters wide. They're not bad, those little things. They're great. And because they're diamonds, you know, they, they never wear out. And it doesn't matter what kind of hardness of steel you've got, you can sharpen it. Um, mm. But one of the biggest things that my uh, instructors, when I, you know, it, my teachers used to say was, it was all about the skill and not about the tool. You know, yeah. a, 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 the, the most, you know, spectacular tool in a person without skills hands is not going to do as good a job as a person with all of the skill and the, you know, worst tools. Um, because you can sharpen on a rock if you know what you're doing. Well, actually, yeah, I was about to say, Murray Carter, who is um, the man I, I first kind of ran across when I started looking into sharpening um, all those years back when I started bladesmithing, he's an uh, ABS mastersmith, and he's done a lot of series on um, sharpening, and recently he started going into, like, microhones and stuff like that. But for a long time, he, he uh, was an advocate of Japanese waterstones, um, kingstones specifically, king... Um, being an awesome synthetic Japanese waterstone, and I have a pair, um, mm. and they're my favorite things to sharpen on. Um, but one of the big things is that I actually bought his sharpening DVD, which is like an hour and a half tutorial on all of the things he goes into about sharpening, and um, in that DVD, he sharpens on a piece of concrete that he pulled out of his garden, strops <laughs> it on some cardboard, and shaves hair. Right, like... He, the the whole demonstration, the whole idea is, is that the application of sharpening is simply abrading material to get an edge. Yeah. It doesn't matter what the abrasive is, if as long as you can abrade the material, you can create an edge. Now, the fineness of that edge comes down to the fineness of the material, and you can argue, you know, water stones versus oil stones versus Arkansas stones versus diamond plates all year round. But at the end of the day, you're abrading material with a harder material to create an edge. Mm. Um, and so when I teach all the sharpening, and I've done a couple of videos on sharpening recently, um, when it comes down to it, one of my biggest things is that the only way you get an edge is by taking off a little bit of material. I don't suggest taking a lot of material off. And for God's sake, if I ever see anyone come near me with one of those tungsten carbide V-bit draw-through <laughs> things you get from like the fishing stores and stuff like that, I will yeah. remove your hands from your body <laughs> so that you may never hurt with, another blade again. With the blunt knife. Yeah, that's it. So that you may never hurt another blade again. Uh, <laughs> those things are the devil. <laughs> but yeah, so I mean, at the end of the day, um, that's why I, I do a lot of hand sharpening is because old habits die hard and I really like to be able to think if I'm without my sharpening equipment if I just find myself somewhere and I need to sharpen a knife which happens all the time because I forget to take sharpening gear with me everywhere um, I can flip a coffee mug upside down and use the unglazed rim at the bottom to sharpen a knife because I already know how it works yeah and you know the why exactly so yeah um, 
Shopping systems. Another thing, uh, another thing that uh, just to interject. Another thing people need to know is, uh, and it's just a, the more I talk to people, the more I realize that a lot of people don't know this is a big difference between honing and sharpening. And a lot of the time, if you're starting to lose, uh, quote unquote, lose the edge on your knife, it may just need honing. Yeah. And if you are honing it correctly during use or before use, then the sharpening should happen less and less frequently. Mm. Strong. If it's a good quality blade. Yeah, um, and depending on the profile of the blade and the grind of the blade and all that. But for the most part, honing is an important part of knife maintenance. Yeah, my, my grandfather always used to say, um, you know, strop more, sharpen less. Uh, yeah. He always used to have a piece of leather belt uh, hung on a hook in his shed. And every time he used a knife to, you know, cut open some cardboard boxes or something, he'd just give it a couple of licks on the, on the belt. When, I was out in the, when I'm out in the bush and stuff like that, instead I'd use a, a stick or something like that as a strop um, just to hone that edge back into straight. If you're in an absolute jam and you've got absolutely nothing else, uh, you can wind down your car window halfway and use the sort of um, burnished top of the window. Yeah, that's, a, a, that's a good one. I like that. I like that. Yeah. But, uh, just don't do it on your friend's car because they'll be like, what the hell are you doing in my window? <laughs> yeah. I mean, sharpening sharpening is one of those things that you could go on and on and on for days and everyone's got their idea on what's best and what isn't, uh, what you should do and what you shouldn't. And we can't cover it all in a single episode. We couldn't cover it in 10 episodes if we wanted to. No, um, especially with Sam and I talking oh, about Oh, man. It. And, you know, like there are various you know, angles and stuff like that you want to use for various knives and stuff like that. But at the end of the day, if you're looking for a sharpening system to help you do repeatable results and you have a lot of money, then TS Prof's a good way to go. <laughs> mm. And I would have one if I could afford it because uh, while I like freehand sharpening, um, being able to provide repeatable and awesome results is always a plus. But um, I would highly suggest that you work out how to sharpen by hand. There are a lot of how-to manuals on YouTube and elsewhere. Uh, and get yourself a cheap pair of carborundum stones and keep sharpening until you can shave with it. Because you should yeah. be able to shave for the 240 grit edge. It's funny well, how can. it's one of those topics that you can talk to five different sharpening nerds and get 18 different techniques. Oh, yeah, and um, things get really heated. Like, I'm, I wouldn't be surprised if a few people disagree with, you know, some of the points we've made today. Well, Sam and I actually differ on quite a lot of sharpening techniques, but yet both of us manage to achieve scary edges on our knives. Yeah. So it's, it's a very, it very much comes down to personal preferences. What matters is the performance. That's it. All roads lead to Rome. And in the end, at the end of the day, if your knife is getting sharp, as long as it's getting sharp repeatedly, then there's nothing the wrong one, with your system. It's the one thing all sharpening nerds agree on. Yeah, that's it. As long <laughs> as the blade is sharp. Although people will, dis will disagree on what is and isn't sharp. Yeah, well, that's right. right. And... It's, and <laughs> I'm very pragmatic. I believe if it's fit for task, if it scare, if it scares the person that you gave it back to, after they asked you to sharpen it, yeah, you've done a good job. Fit for purpose. That's the one. <laughs> but but uh, yeah, hope, hopefully that's uh, enlightened you to a, a few uh, areas. Yeah. Uh, what was the brand of that whetstone that you use? I use Naniwa's. Um, so I've got King um, Japanese King. waterstones. Yeah. Right. Um, they're a yeah, they're a Japanese-made brand of synthetic stones. They're not too pricey. Obviously, being Japanese water stones, they tend to be a little bit more expensive than your everyday. Yeah, Naniwa Chaseras are pretty pretty pricey as well. Oh yeah, 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 absolutely. Not as pricey as like the Shaptons though. They're, oh no. They get 
<laughs> I would I would love a set of chapters. And and you don't even <laughs> want to look at natural Japanese water stones like Oh, man. Like, actual natural Japanese water stones can go for, like, $10,000 a single stone, so... Yeah, the, the, the cheap and nasty version of those is about 630 bucks. Yeah. <laughs> I think that's the lowest I've ever seen. It was about 630 bucks. Yeah. Uh-huh. That being said, you can get some natural stones that go up to, like, 30,000 grit, so... <laughs> yeah. yeah. But, uh, that's, that's, that's for the... the uber sharpening nerds i don't think the, the highest my, my highest grid is ten thousand. it's it's what i take most things to yeah i have and then I'll i have a 19 crap I, out of it. I have a nineteen thousand, but you know yeah. that that only comes out for special occasions <laughs> right so topic of the week very poignant topic this week even though we're coming up to the hour yeah um, it's something that it's not a huge in-depth topic but we've already kind of spoken about it nah what we what did we do this week (laughs) yeah given given the situation that sam and i are in i I imagine that many many smiths all over the world run into this problem although some parts of the world probably not so much but we are blacksmiths and we work next to heat and hot things all day Mm -hmm. and so the topic of the week is how to stay cool while you're actually doing this. And there are lots of different techniques that you may not be doing or even have considered. Um, we have talked about this in the past because we had a listener question about you know, our tips for staying cool. However, we kind of breeze through it. Um, and while I may be living in a wonderful temperate paradise now, I did live and forge in Brisbane in <laughs> Queensland, southeast Queensland, which is nightmarish very similar to what Sam's enduring uh, so I'm, I'm not talking out my ass when I when I say that I know what it's like to be running a and I run a solid fuel forge yeah so, <laughs> so it's um it's it the, we, before we get into any other techniques hydration you've got to remember to hydrate constantly and the thing about dehydration is that it sneaks up on you Absolutely. you have to force yourself to drink because you'll feel like you don't need to but just make it a rhythm if you're putting the steel back in the forge to, to take a heat take a drink mm-hmm. yeah no if you're taking a heat take a cool yeah that's it <laughs> I, hy- hydration is like the number one killer uh, when it comes to hot hot weather, uh, and I mean, there are those listeners of ours that will be in the U.S. and in the Northern Hemisphere at the moment that are going through winter. But some of you will have gone through really hot summers, especially in places like Arizona, Utah, um, you know, the, the southern states um, where you're getting closer to the equator, um, <clears throat> Florida, Texas, Louisiana. We could go. We could go on and on. <laughs> yeah. But um, basically, you know, you guys, you guys will know what it's like to, to be in a hot environment. But even those of us who are familiar with hot environments get caught really quickly when we're distracted. And uh, I, I myself personally have almost passed out in my workshop because I have allowed myself to be distracted to the point that I haven't drunk in uh, over an hour. And uh, I only realized that I was in trouble when I went to wipe my forehead and it was dry. And... You know that that's a, a pretty good sign that's bad. that you're yeah. in big trouble because if you are in a really hot environment and you're not sweating but you feel hot, you're in trouble. You need mm. to go inside quickly and get hydrated because that's that's bad news. It helps to have some sort of method of monitoring your fluid intake. Um, it's easy enough to just say, "Oh, I've got a drink bottle," but no 
how much that drink bottle can hold yeah um and keep a, a record of like how many times you've you've gone and filled it so by the end of the day you know how much you've drunk um and you should be able to maintain a record of how much you've drunk i have a two liter drink bottle and i try and get through it by the end of my forging session yeah down here two liters is more than enough well that's it and, um, and to... one of the big things is there was those advertising campaigns that went around for a while that was like you know drink four liters a day or something stupid you know yeah. every day and the thing is that the human body doesn't actually require that it only requires to replace the fluid that it loses mm. uh in a really hot on a really hot day i you know on uh, saturday i lost enough to drink 12 liters of water in a day mm. you know like that's an insane amount of water <laughs> but and you do get water from food and things like that <clears throat> people like to make that argument but when it comes to hydrating yourself during that sort of strenuous activity you need the hydration to hit you quickly that's it. to get the water out of food takes time yeah but um that leads into my next uh point or our next point uh which is uh salt yes one of the biggest things uh that i fail uh in with my work is that i will drink regularly like I, I keep on top of that now but i will work for four or five hours uh without taking a break to eat or mm. if i do eat i'll eat something like an apple or you know something small and normally sweet because you know that's what I, my body craves at that stage but the problem is is that sweat is two things it is wet and it is salty mm. and your body will lose salt really quick and your, the salt is actually something that helps your body retain moisture so the more you lose, the faster you're going to lose um, water, which means that the faster you're going to dehydrate. So <clears throat> it's really important when you are working in the forge that when you take a break to eat lunch or whatever it is, that you have something that has a decent amount of salt minerals in it. It can even <clears throat> be as simple as uh, putting a bit of salt on your tongue before you go to drink something especially if it's fine so you want like fine salt or a flower of salt if you're a cooking enthusiast because mm -hmm. uh, it's much faster and easier for the body to absorb uh, if it's smaller um, more delicate particles but any hiker or bushwalker will tell you that one of the best foods you can have to keep you going is something like salami mm -hmm. and that's because it is full of fats and it's full of salt and protein really full <laughs> of salt and yeah and protein which helps you and it's absorbed quickly those things um, when you eat that and it, it, it keeps that you've got to replenish the salt as well as the, the fluid that you're losing and if you're a vegan or a vegetarian then uh, another option is something like peanuts or um, you know almonds or something like that salted mm. salted nuts uh, are a really good way to go because they've also got a lot of fats and protein fats protein and salt they're all mm. necessary in your day-to-day -day work and the the big thing is that um, you know it's fairly obvious for anyone who's watched my YouTube channel or seen me on my Instagram or something like that that I don't have a problem with not eating. <laughs> Quite the opposite. Um, but that doesn't mean that I am not at risk of losing out to uh, lack of nutrition when I'm in the forge. Uh, when you work as insane hours in the forge as Sam and I do, you start getting down to a, almost a science I, yeah. of what you eat and drink. I, I have a horrible habit, which is uh, on the days where I'm not motivated, I can sit around on the couch all day and eat myself stupid and, and you know do nothing. But the moment I get that on the roll in the forge, I could literally work from sunrise to sunset without stopping 
to even think about my own health and only end up stopping when my hands start shaking and my, you know, my brain starts twisting in, in my skull and my eyes go crossed. Um, That's a thing that I think many, many people who've done blacksmithing have reached, you know, you get carried away on a product, on, on working on a project. And the first thing that you do notice is the shaking hand. Yeah. And if you've gotten to that point, you've already pushed it too far. Yeah. And cold sweats is another one. If you start, mm. if you start feeling cold in a warm environment, then you're, uh, it's probably time to take a break. Yeah, and it's one of those things that take that, say, you know, take the break, stop what you're doing, and take it as a lesson. So next time that you're in there, prepare for it. Take, get the salt in your diet, get the drink in your diet. My wife has actually specially engineered a special uh, thing that we've, it's already divvied up and frozen off, so she can just stick it in the microwave, and it's got pasta in it. It's got um, salami. It's got bacon. It's got spinach. It's got chia seeds. And it's this sort of like slice that she can bring out and it's sort of like yep. everything that my body needs to power through things. Meal and, in a bar. <laughs> yeah, and you kind of, you, after a while, I mean, it's an exhausting trade that we do. Mm. After a while, you'll start picking up that you're getting to that point yep. and injecting the right fuel at the right time and the right level of hydration is important. It's, it's, don't, uh, don't drink alcohol, don't... Oh, please knock them back soft drink it's it's not good and yeah i mean being self-aware is one of the biggest problem uh, one of the biggest points to, to push through is to be aware of how your body is reacting to your surroundings because we've covered hydration we've covered nutrition but the big the, you know the big killer that we're talking about is heat and no matter how hydrated you are no matter how well you know salted you are <laughs> yeah you can still get heat stroke, you know, out, out of the sun. You don't have to be wearing a scrap of clothing in what we do. We put a fiery thing in an enclosed space on hot days. Mm. If you're insane, like we are. And, um, (laughs) the, the thing is, is that our internal temperature is, you know, normally sits around 38, 39 degrees Celsius. And it's a very delicate balance. Very. If it goes up one degree, you can pass out. Mm. So when you're working with a forge that's running, you know, 1300 degrees Celsius, um, <laughs> and, you know, the day itself could be 38, 39 degrees. And you got to remember when, when you see the temperature on the news, like when you look at the weather reports, that's in the shade. Yes. Yeah. They, they, they measure temperature in the shade. They never measure it. They never measure it in direct sunlight because direct sunlight causes more heat. And they certainly don't measure it inside your workshop. Oh no! And I would actually suggest getting a thermometer for inside your workshop just to get an idea of how hot it is. Because, like I said, on and on that day that it was forty degrees on Saturday, it was forty-seven in my car at ten o'clock. And if he had been running his forge all day in that tin shed, it would have been over fifty. Oh yeah, there was a photo put up recently on the Australian Blacksmiths page where the uh, the temperature inside his workshop, and he hadn't fired the forge yet, was 52 degrees. Mm. Just from being in an enclosed space under a tin roof. Exactly. So, just because, you know, the, the temperature says, oh, it's, you know, 36, it's fine. The, the 36 is measured in the shade and not in a workshop that's got a tin roof <laughs> and you're standing next to a forge. 
I get so many people comment saying, why don't you build like barn doors or something? Why do you have the big open front to your forge? You know, you should close that in. And my response is always, lol, no. <laughs> Having an enclosed forge isn't a bad thing. Although you want proper ventilation to make sure that you don't get carbon monoxide poisoning. Especially with a, um, with a gas forge. With a solid, fuel, solid fuel forge, you've got the smoke builder. Oh yeah. Well, yeah, that's, that's true. But with a gas forge, the, the silent killer is carbon monoxide. Yeah, you um, can't smell it. Can't smell it, can't taste and, it. And it's, so, and it's so gradual that you don't know you got until you got. Uh, yeah, on long days in the forge, when I get out of the forge, my voice is actually like an octave deeper because of the <laughs> amount of carbon monoxide that I've inhaled. That's what he says. He just likes putting on a voice to sound impressive That's on it, the podcast. You know, like I've watched too much Batman or something. <laughs> Where is Rachel? Too much Barry White. <laughs> Where are they? <laughs> But yeah, so um, the big thing is that you've got to make sure that you're keeping an eye on the temperature because you can be on top of your hydration, on top of everything else, especially on still days where there's no cross breeze. And I would highly suggest having a fan in your workshop if you don't have uh, one already. And not a, not a small, not a medium, a big ass fan. Yeah, I'm, I'm planning on getting a giant shop fan for mine. Uh, at the moment, all I've got is a little pedestal fan, but it's better than nothing. Yeah, and you not you want serious airflow because you're not just you don't want to just move around the hot air in your forge. No, you want to. If anything, you want to point it from an enclosed corner to the door. You yeah. want to blow all of the hot air out and hopefully have an intake somewhere near the fan that's going to be bringing cooler air in. To put it in simpler terms, I mean, everybody who lives in a hot climate knows the one spot in their house where they can get a really good cross breeze. And they like that cross breeze spot because it's always nice and cool to sit in on a hot day. You're trying to simulate a cross breeze in your forge. Yeah. And the other thing, like you can wet a wet a towel, wet a hand towel, and put that around your neck because um, that helps moderate your temperature. One thing you can actually get very very cheap. Um, somebody gifted it to me. I can't remember who it was. Um, was a uh, these things that that you wrap around your neck, but they're full of these little. Um, uh, beads that soak up water and then slowly release it. Yeah, yeah, like can, orbies, yeah. Yeah, you, you chuck that around your neck and they're very cool to actually have um, around your neck. But you do, all you have to do to make them cool again is to put them back in water. Um, another thing that I actually use when I bushwalk a lot and would use in the forge are um, these special towels that you get them just damp you don't have to you don't want to get them wet just damp and then you wave them through the air and they chill really really cool mm -hmm. um and then you can wrap that around your neck yeah that's, you know, wonderful things that's that's a good way to go so yeah the the neck is a good place to go um to modulate your temperature especially to your brain uh which is the important bit <laughs> mm -hmm. um but uh if you weren't sure already yeah and the other thing is, is obviously, if it's going to be a hot day, you've got the forecast in front of you, you can see it's going to be a hot day. So anything over, like, I'd say about anything over 36. Uh, I, me, personally, I, anything over 34 for me, and I don't fire the forge. That's just my rule. But, you know, like, if you might want to push it. If you want to push it, anything over 36 or something like that, draw yourself a line. And no matter how much you want to forge, if it gets past that limit, don't go out there. Because you're just putting yourself at risk. And, uh, Especially if you, I mean, if you're um, 
going to pass out from you could land and think of it think about it. you could fall and crack your head on the corner of your anvil if you're using a solid fuel forge you could fall forward and land full body on top of the forge all sorts of horrible accidents could happen you could be using an angle grinder and and have a micro sleep or black out yeah just, you could fall into your you could fall into your f- gas forge and put your hand through the door uh you could drop your hammer on your you know foot you could do a lot of really bad things uh, you could are... accidentally touch your mank tank. <laughs> yeah, I mean, there's a lot of ways that you could hurt yourself if you fall over in your workshop. So, you know, just don't put yourself at that risk. And the last thing I'd like to say about hydration, um, one of the things that a lot of people don't discuss is when you are seriously hot and you feel like you're on the verge of heat stroke or if you're concerned that you're on the edge of a heat stroke, do not drink ice cold water because it will cause your body to suck all of the heat out of your limbs to your central system to try and warm up the water you just drank and you'll actually pass out um Mm. i've actually watched it happen uh at sports days when i was younger um you know kids would get kids would grab a an ice cold bottle of water out of the the esky and uh after they'd just done a big track run slam it down and then they just hit the dirt um, and again, that's just another risk. So room temperature water <laughs> is, is best, you know, yeah. tap fresh. Um, yeah, leave the ice cold water until you're actually cooled down. A lot of people I've seen, uh, go for sports drinks as well, uh, because, you know, they claim to be good for mm. rehydration and that. they do contain a lot of salts and things that help electrolyte solutions and that but a lot of them do actually have a lot of sugar in them uh-huh. um, and crashing from too much sugar especially if you're not used to it um, then it, that level of exhaustion piled with even minor heat stress can lead to a pretty bad uh, downturn that happens very quickly yeah uh, in the in the middle of your day it's um so a, just because it it has a lot of fancy words on the label telling you how good it is for active people and all that sort of thing it's what you're doing is slightly different to going for a jog that's it and don't ever convince yourself that you need to man up and you know gut through the heat if you are even slightly concerned that you are getting too hot sit down for a half hour to uh, for an hour you know Mm. Seriously, there is no such thing as, you know, manning it up and pushing through the heat because at the end of the day, you're going to kill yourself. Yeah. And especially for people like myself, I work at home and a lot of the time I'm on my own. I don't have anyone to save me in the event that I, you know, do get injured if I do, um, you know, pass out. So I have to be my own carer and I have to make sure that I get get to, you know, wake up tomorrow morning to keep doing this kind of stuff. So mm. at the end of the day, there's no such thing as, as, you know, too much care when it comes to that kind of thing. And if you are concerned that you're not capable of doing it, if you're feeling those shakes, if you're getting muscle weakness, stop for the day, go and sit down, have a, have a cool drink and, uh, you know, if you feel better, you know, half an hour later and you want to go back at it, go back at it. But please have that break first. Yeah, take it as a lesson. If you get to that point where you've got the shakes or you're feeling dizzy or lightheaded or something, you've just gone too far, that's all. So stop, take the lesson, work out 
uh, have a think back and think, well, I did notice this warning sign before it happened. Maybe next time when I see that warning sign, I'll do something about it before it gets to this level. So learn from it. I mean, we've said it before on this show. There's no such thing as failure. There is success and there are lessons. Mm-hmm. You win or you learn. That's it. So, With that... Uh... Um, Without yeah, rounding it on up. that note. <laughs> if you want to contact us and you do want to ask us questions, like um, you know, so many people already have, uh, you can contact us uh, at ask.forgecast at gmail.com. We also have an Instagram and Facebook page, which is the.forgecast. Um, so if you want to find us there, you can also message us there and we'll get back to you. Uh, and I do apologize for um, not getting back to as many people as I should on the emails because uh, Sam and I have been actually pretty bogged down with Christmas orders and Sam's preparing for a Perth Knife show. So so our, our schedules have been pretty... Our dance cards have been pretty full. We, we have been very, very busy. So yeah, uh, apologies for that. It's just the time of the year. That's it. Holiday period. Silly, silly season. Mm. <laughs> uh, if you would like to find Alex... Uh, I go by Valhalla Ironworks, and you can find me on Facebook, Instagram, YouTube, Etsy, Redbubble. I got merch on there, and you can still find me on TikTok. Oh, where one of my videos recently just passed 1.4 million views. Wow, that's actually yeah. pretty cool. Even that's though, pretty good reach. Even though it was on TikTok. <laughs> I know, right? Yeah, I put the same video on Instagram, and I got about 700. Oh well, there you go. Yeah. It's paying dividends, Sam. <laughs> That's it. <laughs> if you want to find me, you can find me at Sam Towns Bladesmith on Instagram, Facebook, Etsy, Patreon, YouTube, Redbubble. The Kitchen Sink. The Kitchen Sink, indeed. <laughs> uh, with that being said, this episode is coming out after Christmas, so um, I would like to wish all of you a Merry Christmas, uh, and I hope you all have a fantastic New Year, because our next episode will be coming out after the new year. Before we sign off, I will point out that Sam and I are actually going to be taking a little bit of a break over the Christmas break and New Year break and uh, you know, take a little bit of time for ourselves, probably only a week or two, uh, but then we'll be right back for a new year of episodes. Um, have a safe holiday, imbibe uh, responsibly. <laughs> and That's right, and, and for any uh, anyone not celebrating Christmas... Uh, have a great Friday. Exactly. <laughs> well, yeah, I hope you had a great Wednesday. And it was a good Wednesday, yeah. Uh, hopefully it's not too hot. Yeah, well, wherever you are. But yeah. um, with that being said, you should be hearing the outro music firing up as we speak. Um, you guys know the Forgecast Challenge is still saying the same for the moment. It's going to all December, and we'll have a new one for you on uh, the first episode in January. That's it. So we want to see those podcast entry guys. Make sure that you uh, put those up so that we can get a collage together on our Instagram page. Yeah. All right, guys. We'll see you next week. See you guys.
啤酒。